coming up on the Scott Thompson Home Show podcast. An update on vaccines, but that could change by the minute. We're still seeing clinics close due to lack of COVID-19 vaccines. 10,000 appointments in Scarborough. And should Chinese television stations be broadcasting propaganda in Canada? And Ted gets a vaccine. Trousers up. It's on the way. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. We just got a new spike ball net. It was a good investment considering now gym class for me is bouncing a balloon around my room. It's the Scott Thompson Home Show. Here's Scott Thompson. Although it is a gym class that I can now participate in. Nah. Uh, yeah, I love the spike ball net, but do we have to have it set up in the house? Uh, isn't that a beautiful sunny day outside? Can we not do that out in the uh, backyard? It'd be a great idea. I think it's an outdoor game. No? Let's bring the lawn darts in. Uh, good afternoon. It is 1211. It is 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. Willerskin back at the station. Keeping the Scott Thompson home show between the pipes. Week number 56. Feel free to jump into the conversation. Lots of ways to do that. Facebook and Twitter. The commentary is there waiting for you. Uh, and as well, you can send us a note via the website, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. I guess, uh, more information on COVID-19 in regard, uh, to blood clotting. Uh, obviously you've heard of, uh, the one Canadian case of blood clotting, uh, associated with AstraZeneca. Here's what, uh, Health Minister Patty, uh, Haidu had to say. It's important, first of all, to uh, remind Canadians that these are extremely rare events and that the value of vaccination um, is, uh, is clear, that uh, people who are, are vaccinated are safer, they are better protected from COVID-19, and that vaccines have two goals, to save lives and to stop the spread. Want to play you also a uh, report from uh, our Lisa Pileski. Mayor Fred Eisenberger says Hamilton has the capacity to vaccinate up to 10,000 people per day, but the supply isn't keeping up with the demand, which has postponed the opening of the additional mass vaccination site at Rosedale Arena. He says the province needs to increase supply to COVID-19 hotspots, including Hamilton. You know, we got areas like Hamilton, like, uh, like Peel, Brampton, Mississauga, where, you know, the, the lion's share of the cases are happening right now, uh, you know, should that not get, uh, you know, some additional attention in, in terms of the vaccine, because that actually helps the entire province knock down the, the, the spread of the virus. More than 137,000 vaccine doses have been administered in Hamilton to date, with nearly a quarter of the city's adult population having received at least one dose. Lisa Pileski, 900 CHML News. So there you go. Uh, Mayor Fred looking for, you know, specific stuff into certain areas. Uh, at the same time, Scarborough forced to cancel uh, 10,000 appointments due to lack of supply. Just not enough supply coming into the uh, country, let alone enough to target it, it towards uh, certain areas. So uh, 10,000 appointments uh, canceled in the hot spot of Scarborough. 
uh, also a hot spot, uh, that at Centenary Hospital and Centennial College, uh, 10,000 opportunities lost there. And, and again, all coming back to supply. Uh, all right, let's move forward and, and talk more about the information that has come out uh, in the last uh, 24 hours or so and see where that, uh, where that uh, leaves us and, and Canadians' attitudes towards all of this. Let's bring in Sable Ray, James McGill, Professor Operations Management at uh, McGill University and is with us now. Sable, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Yeah, thanks, Scott, for having me. Thanks. So your thoughts, uh, first of all, on this uh, uh, latest uh, report in regard to a Canadian case of the AstraZeneca, involving the AstraZeneca and blood clots, what does this do to the situation? Do we have to keep this all in perspective? Yeah, uh, uh, my personal opinion, we have to keep this in perspective. As uh, you just mentioned, uh, the health minister's uh, comments, the, it is extremely rare, and if you balance the thing about the benefits of uh, benefits of AstraZeneca vaccine against the the risk that I- there is the risk, but the risk is extremely rare, and the benefits are much much higher. And uh, uh, we always tell that oh, the vaccines are not hundred percent, as if anything in life is hundred uh, percent safe, basically. So uh, the things are. The, there have been lots of studies which are showing that the risk of AstraZeneca's blood clotting is same as if you are taking a long uh, long haul flight. So, uh, or uh, w- uh, the risk of a car accident in Toronto in a year. Uh, so, but still we go out, we drive, and so on. So, I think we have to keep it in perspective. Uh, the benefits are much much higher than the risk. So what would you say to the person that's sitting in that age range for the AstraZeneca and said, well, that seems like a tough choice to make. It's like this or that. But that being said, as you mentioned, there's other, uh, I've even heard other vaccines, other medications that put, that, that could pose even a, a greater risk. And, and I heard yesterday somebody point to the birth control pill and yeah. the side effects of that, for example. Yeah, absolutely. So th- there are lots of medicines, lots of activities that we are doing every day. Uh, but like, again, the question is taking the vaccine versus not taking the vaccine. And the, 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 the comparison, it's just not the, in terms of the comparison, there is no, there is no comparison. The benefits are much higher than the risk, uh, uh, taking the vaccine versus not taking the vaccine. And it appears that this seems to be more of a risk in women. Is that accurate? Do we have data to come to that conclusion uh, yet? Yeah, so that's what has been shown in the Europe uh, studies that uh, it is, uh, it is uh, more uh, risky for younger females. That's that's the uh, demographic which is at most risk. Though we have, um, Canada has closed it for anyone below uh, 55, but uh, uh, but it seems that the risk is higher for younger females. Uh, do you expect to hear any more information from Health Canada or uh, NACI on this? I, I, my feeling is that uh, there was there is a news today that they are going to put it on a, a, um, a risk statement on the uh, vials that there is a risk of uh, clotting. But my feeling is that uh, things people will be there. There will be that above fifty five, you can uh, give it, and I think it will go on like that because again the risk is there. 
but you see uk has gotten the benefit of uk most of the vaccines have been uh, astrazeneca that 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 has been the uh, uh, almost what 70 75% of uk vaccines have been astrazeneca yeah, and, and that's a, a very, a very valid point that you bring up, because many of us point to the UK. Well, look, they're opening up. They're doing this. They've had great success. And you have to also follow that up with, you know, that's due to large in part AstraZeneca. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's almost large. They they got any other vaccines, Pfizer or Moderna, extremely late. It's only now they are getting. So it was at certain point, it was almost like 100 percent AstraZeneca. So. And uh, the cases have been extremely rare. And the more we, the more we talk, I understand this is there is this recency bias type of thing that it has happened. It it is it's like the airline accident when when there is an accident in the airline, though it is by far the safest mo- mode of transport. But whenever an accident happens, it takes mm. a lot of space. And same thing because this is happening. Even one case, it is hap- it's a lot of lot of. Um, discussion is going on. But again, the question is that you have to take into account the risks and the benefits. Uh, many have talked about uh, mixed information, uh, mixed messaging. And, and, you know, we often have to remember this situation changes pretty much daily. Um, and, and, and we are getting a lot of information to, to digest in any 24 hour uh, period. Uh, on the other hand, uh, if we don't have information, people, you know, ask for uh, transparency. They, they complain that they don't have enough information. So is more information good or bad? Should we look at this? Uh, as I saw, uh, one expert talk about the fact that we are seeing uh, every so often, these red flags come out, prove that the safety chain of this is working. Exactly. That, that you are, but the question is that we cannot, the, the, the information is good, but we have to, whenever we provide this information, uh, unfortunately, the heading, the, the more scary headings are more interesting, basically, in some yeah. way, unfortunately. And so, and people don't read the whole thing they are looking at the scary heading astrogenica is closed astrogenica is creating blood clot but they don't read the details about how what is the proportion of blood clot it creates so the, and then that so to me that is the risk absolutely information is important but information should be provided in the proper context and the headings always even for me even after i'm knowing all these things when i see the headings i feel oh this is very scary. But when I read in the details, it looks like, yeah, they, there is a risk, but the risk is extremely minimal. We're certainly hearing the same sort of information coming out about the J&J vaccine. Yeah, exactly. uh, and again, I, the, they're the same type of vaccine, uh, very uh, different from the Pfizer and the Moderna, which are a different type of vaccine. Yeah. So are we expecting, we're going to hear the same thing about this as time rolls on. Yeah, That's I, to my- be expected, and we have to be ready for that. Yeah, my feeling is like that. It's like uh, uh, what we are hearing, uh, luckily, uh, not luckily, but uh, uh, we are only getting the J&J at the end of this month. And uh, what I read today from Fauci is that they will make some uh, uh, decision by that time because uh, they are telling that the decisions are whatever is the most probably there will be like uh, AstraZeneca, there will be some conditions that give it to only this type of people or something like that. 
And this will come in days or weeks, not weeks and months. So within next one or two weeks, we will have, again, like AstraZeneca, there will be some constraint that it will be given to only certain demographics and so, so on, basically. So and we will hear it before. I think the good thing is that uh, if there is a good thing that I think we will hear it before uh, uh, we received our J&J. But uh, again, uh, I mean, the, 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 the proportion of what has happened in U.S., it has happened. But if you see the number of uh, doses being given and the cases, it is extremely minimal. Uh, obviously, we've seen hesitancy around this uh, particular brand as a result. Will Canada try to get more Pfizer, Pfizer and Moderna in to combat this hesitation, do you think? Yeah, but uh, you have to also remember that everyone is now doing yeah. the same thing, right? Every yeah. country will do the same thing. So uh, uh, Pfizer and Moderna, there is no doubt mRNA, their uh, technology seems to be working better than uh, uh, J&J and uh, AstraZeneca. But now every country... And then there will be even more. Uh, luckily for us, we have, because even with, uh, if we get all our Pfizer and Moderna on time, we have enough to vaccinate everyone with Pfizer and Moderna. Only problem is that we, in that case, if we depend only on Pfizer and Moderna, we will be very late by the time we, the thing with AstraZeneca or GNJ will allow us to do it much earlier. It's not a question of the, so this, and mm-hmm. I think this will be related to your next question about the supply problem. That issue, the issue is not about the volume. The issue is about the speed. Because yeah. if you, it is purely the question of volume, we can depend only on Pfizer and Moderna. But then we have to go into fall to get uh, everyone vaccinated. But if right. we are able to uh, uh, use AstraZeneca and J&J, we can do it earlier. And obviously, we're seeing shortages. Uh, a Moderna uh, shipment that was supposed to come in uh, this week or last week hasn't arrived, forcing the closure of a couple of uh, clinics in Scarborough, hospital clinic, uh, canceling 10,000 appointments. So obviously, this puts even more stress on those two yeah. to make sure they get the other ones. Absolutely. There, there is no doubt. Like, unfortunately, the, the, and the, with the rise in the number of cases, I my feeling is that AstraZeneca and J&J, with constraints, obviously with the constraints, we have to use it because we need to put uh, uh, the uh, vaccinations onto the hands as quickly as possible. Uh, there is no no other uh, option uh, available to us. And uh, Pfizer seems to be the the uh, the delivery seems to have uh, stabilized. There is, mm-hmm. doesn't seem to be any problem. Moderna, there was. They got the new, uh, the one which was delayed. They are getting this week, but then again, the next one, next week's one is delayed for the week after that, basically. So, so there is still some supply issues. Maybe not as much as in uh, February, much, but still there are supply issues still there. Uh, how concerned are you that we're going to be going through this again in a few months as we try to get the second dose into people? Because right now we're seeing a, 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 a nice acceleration, but that's due to just unloading everything into the first dose, arms into the first dose. Yeah. Uh, so how concerned are you, uh, you know, within, well, within four months <laughs> that we're going to yeah. be here again trying to get everybody loaded up with the second dose? So, so the thing is that what we have heard from the federal government, uh, if you take the numbers, they said 44 million by end of June. Uh, so 44 million end of June is if you take into account uh, 38 million uh, Canadian population and 75 percent, like if you take into account the adult and there will be always five to 
10% who will not take perhaps so we are looking at 75% of the population which is mm-hmm. roughly around 28 28 29 million so even 44 million will be enough for us to give everyone first dose and at least around 15 16 million the second dose actually so uh, uh, and then obviously we will get some more in july and august so if 44 million what they are saying and this i think 44 million uh, ha- doesn't take into account the full jnj uh, and so on then we should be okay in terms of the supply if we get uh, everything what we are expecting to get by june uh, then we should have end of june then we should have uh, enough uh, for that there is less of a concern about the second dose sable ray with be, us sorry go ahead sorry 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 uh, the the question for us is that now we have to both uh, now we are seeing at least in quebec the average uh, vaccination numbers per day has uh, improved significantly and now we are getting to the range of 55 60000 per day and perhaps going forward we need to go to 70000 per day 70 75000 which will be with uh, quebec's population versus us population now then we are in the range of us which is around 3 million per day Sable Ray with us, James McGill, Professor of Operations Management at McGill University. Thank you so much for the time. Be well. Thank you very much, Scott. Thank you very much for having me. Be safe. Thanks. You too. Here is today's daily commentary. We have heard provinces and the federal government go back and forth of late on where all of Canada finds itself. A lockdown in a third COVID-19 wave, and although vaccines increasing slowly, we show no sign of being fully vaccinated for months to come. This while others finish up and we hope for their extras. Sometimes we have to step outside the box to see exactly where we are. CNN's Jake Tapper did us this favor with a piece on Canada's vaccine shortage. COVID-19 cases per capita pass U.S. rate as doctors plead for more vaccines. Yes, that is correct. This past weekend, Canada's per capita COVID-19 case count topped that of the United States. The piece also talks about our ICU crisis and our inability to turn on production like the UK did and how we must now rely on imports to save lives. This despite promoting our vast drug portfolio, buying up more vaccine than any other country per capita. yet it has yet to arrive in enough supply to keep mass vaccination sites open and the country out of a third wave. Jake Tapper of CNN, not Fox, finished his report by saying, quote, "It is a real failure of the Trudeau government and our Canadian cousins deserve a lot better." Maybe that's what they learned when they got rid of Trump. I'm Scott Thompson. Attention everybody, attention everybody. Chad Michaels has received his shot in the arse. Yes, no. no. I thought you got it in the rear end. No, it was in my muscular deltoid left arm. Oh, I thought it was in your left no, buttocks. No, no, that's for you, Scott. See, uh, I don't want your left buttocks, but thanks <laughs> you for the offer. <laughs> No, Will told me it was in the rear end. No. Oh, see, he was just trying to cause a little tension there between you and me no, there. No, no. So, so, so uh, first of all, how the hell old are you? Uh, old enough to get uh, into the vaccine queue, Scott. So you can so clearly you've got the shoppers discount and beyond. <laughs> Over so, 60, leave it at that, Scott. 
So, so you're north of sixty. Yep. Uh, so uh, that qualifies you for the good stuff. Yeah, um, I registered uh, when the email came out from the city. Uh, when was it? Last week? Two weeks ago? Whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I registered and got on. Um, I should have probably jumped on it sooner, you know, because the email came out at nine. By the time I got right. anyway, whatever. So what, right, and you weren't on it by nine oh two. No, it's not. <laughs> it, it's almost like a concert, right? You line up for the tickets. Yeah, <laughs> you're hitting the refresh, yeah. refresh. Anyway, That's right. so um, got on. It's vaccine master. Yes, yes. Uh, got the um, got registered today. Got the second one uh, registered already. Uh, got down there. Uh, to How first... long for the second one? You went the four months uh, out. August. So yeah. what's uh, maybe okay? Yeah. So right. yeah. So got there. Uh, everybody has their times at First Ontario Center, and it's really spaced out. It was a little delayed today because I think probably because Scott, so many people were getting their vaccines, which is actually good. So yeah. uh, you line up. They say, okay, my time was 1050 so they all line up okay 1050 so we all line up and you know different uh lines by the doors and then they open it up and in you go and then the whole it's and very that's where you dropped your pants no i did not no, no you keep I'm going sorry. back to that um you go in and you register and they like the staff there's there's so many people there helping out like it's so great and follow down the stairs and da, 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 and consent and then you go in and then just like when you're buying meat at Fortino's, they have the thing up. It's number 739, 739. So I went up and ordered a pound of bologna just to start. But but then you go in, and uh, they ask you all the questions, and then boom, it's done. And then you wait 15 minutes to make sure that you don't have any um, after effects. Yeah, your head doesn't explode. Yeah, pretty much. And then you leave. So um, And it was, you know... I've 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 heard from people and I've seen on Facebook a lot of people get really emotional and I get it because when I was leaving I kind of little bit it's like you know what we're finally finally getting to the end of this yeah, I, I, yeah. I understand the experts say we can't vaccinate our way out of this but looking at the number of people that were there today we're all kind of getting the message you know get the vaccine that's offered to you we had the story on the news that people say well they want to have a say in in what vac no yeah. get the first damn vaccine that's offered to you it doesn't matter what it is and what did you get i got pfizer Pfizer, yeah. Yeah, Good. so uh, it's done, and uh, thank you to everybody, the city of Hamilton, and they had paramedics at the tables there as well, answering questions and assisting people, and uh, the... <laughs> you know, and this was all today? This was today, and... And how do you feel now? I'm fine, fine. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm a little disappointed, quite frankly, that there were no lollipops or suckers handed out to people at the end of the thing. That's actually what the nurse said to no me. No pops and cookies. No, I said, do you want to get a coffee, a shot, something? No, no. <laughs> You've already had one shot. You, the next one you have to supply. Yeah, so, um, yeah, it. Uh, you know, please, people, get when your chance and your opportunity comes, get the vaccine. Because the sooner we get everybody vaccinated, yeah. we get through this thing, because it's been over a year now, Scott, and it's like everybody, we're just so bloody tired of this. Yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you. Well, good for you. Yeah. So uh, so that's great. Are you the first one in the newsroom to get it? Not at all. Um, we probably shouldn't be telling everybody everybody else's no, business. No, 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 but... <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Anyway, no, yeah, exactly. I am not the first one. Put it that way. Yeah. No. Uh, good for you. Well, congratulations. I'm signed up, but I'm still waiting because well, I'm not as old as you. 
No, and and when you put down you wanted it, as you say, in your arse, they you probably have to talk about that now, right? Well, I'm not, you know, I, I'm going to be probably at a pharmacy and not at a big uh, oh, joy. clinic, so there so might be go. a bit more privacy. You know, maybe say, they'll have a white curtain I can go behind. Drop your drawers and some yeah, guys yeah. might. You'll see my head out one end of the white curtain and my rear end out the other. <laughs> some guys, some woman's Someone playing running makeup. at my rear end like they're throwing a javelin. <laughs> <laughs> and, and somebody's buying makeup and they look over they, <laughs> yeah, that's all they yeah that's right next thing you know they draw a thing right down the side of their face yeah, no, pretty much terrible. anyway all right uh yes we're being silly now well good for you congratulations you. Yeah, so no. emotionally psychologically you should do a piece on this on your health show you know what uh yeah it's it's just overwhelming everybody has the same thing it's like yes Yes. Yeah, and you know everybody. So, so now you can kiss everybody; they just can't kiss you. If uh, they don't have a vaccine. No, we all have to be really careful. Apparently, yeah. you have to still wear the mask wait and do all two. that stuff, and that's fine. That's yeah. fine. Um, I'm just glad that the first one uh, is. You're done. halfway there, dude. Yep. Yep. I'll see so citizens, it, you think it's the, you know? Do you think it's the upper half or the lower half of your body that's protected? <laughs> all right, let's move on. I didn't ask. <laughs> Sit down. <laughs> Could, but lots of people coming and going. Any yes. any uh, uh, chatting with anybody else through their masks and uh, 200 feet away? Yeah. It, Were they all in happy moods? Yeah. Uh, I was talking to, to one couple, a, a woman uh, who pointed out that she's older than her husband. So she got hers on Sunday at First Ontario Centre. She said there was nobody there at the time. She walked in, got it done. So she was there to support him as mm. as well. So, yeah, there everybody's just saying, you know, we're just so glad that this is finally finally starting to come to an end as you were walking away you should have just fallen down and collapsed and then no no i'm kidding no, i'm fine no 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 i wouldn't do that no. <laughs> uh only at the end of the line not at the front yes uh anyway good for you congratulations Thank you. Thank you. and uh, i thought it was important to get the message out there that you're still upright and retaining fluids Absolutely. and nothing's happened to teddy after the shot no and uh, you know thank you for will for playing my theme song because you know clearly and this now, is... can someone please get this man a cookie and a glass of orange juice or something he sounds like he needs some energy yeah i need some <laughs> All right. Thank you, Ted. Congratulations. Thank you. Let's take a break here. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. New information coming out about Johnson & Johnson out of the United States. Here's our uh, Washington producer, uh, Reggie Giacchini, on all of this. There are new questions about another vaccine meant to protect against the pandemic. There have been six reports of a severe stroke-like illness linked to low platelet counts. With less than 7 million Johnson & Johnson doses administered in the U.S., that's a true one-in-a-million problem. But concerning enough that the U.S. has recommended pausing its use to review the data and give providers more information. If one administers the standard treatments that we as doctors have learned to give for blood clots, one can actually cause tremendous harm. In the six cases, one of which was fatal, the women, aged 18 to 48, were within two weeks of a J&J &J shot. Several states are now swapping out appointments for other vaccines, raising questions on the global impact of an American pause. Canada is set to receive millions of J&J &J doses in just weeks and will now undertake a risk analysis based on this new information. Health Canada will, every step of the way, uh, put the health of Canadians first and foremost uh, in any decisions we make. This isn't the first vaccine setback. Blood clots have eroded some public trust in AstraZeneca's product. And while Johnson & Johnson says there's no clear relationship between recent findings and its vaccine, this could add to hesitancy that already hovers at worrisome levels. The fact that a pause was done, I think just as a testimony 
to how seriously we take safety. Still, in this race against a virus, doctors maintain that the benefits of any vaccine outweigh the risks. Reggie Cicchini, Global News, Washington. And also interesting information, uh, other, other drugs such as the birth control pill uh, will uh, provide more risk uh, than necessarily one of these vaccines. So again, uh, we're, we're asking for lots of information. We're getting lots of information, but we have to be able to balance it and keep it in perspective. Uh, as some of this raw data comes out, a lot of us just simply uh, don't understand it. All right, let's move on and, uh, and jump uh, deeper into uh, where we are with COVID-19 and bring in Thomas Tenkate. He's the professor at the School of Occupational and Public Health, Ryerson University. Talk about uh, vaccine hesitancy and the more news we're hearing uh, coming out uh, in regard to uh, these vaccines and, and such. Thomas, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Uh, yes, thanks, Scott. It's great to be with you again. Uh, Thomas, I want to sort of come at this from a different angle this time. Um, you know, it seems, I remember the first time we started hearing uh, conflicting information about uh, AstraZeneca, and I was one of the first to to complain that, you know, we're getting conflicting information from Health Canada and NASI on this and what have you. Now, of course, uh, more information coming out on both this and uh, the Johnson & Johnson. Are we getting used to this information? In other words, when we first heard this, and the risks involved, um, you know, people are, oh, my goodness, I don't want to, you know, uh, what's worse, the vaccine or the disease and la, 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 la. And now as we hear more and more about this, it's obvious this is coming out. It's obvious um, there's transparency here. It's obvious that uh, different health organizations are looking at this from a different perspective and perhaps coming up with similar but but different conclusions. Are we now understanding that and realizing that? And I think I, uh, one of the pieces of information I heard yesterday, which kind of put it all in perspective, and they said there's higher risks with taking the birth control pill than there is surrounding AstraZeneca. Are we looking at this different now as we see more of this come out? Yeah, I I think that uh, we have to sort of take it uh, from the perspective of, well, weigh weigh up the risks of, you know, what happens with um, taking these vaccines versus, you know, other activities. Uh, So the example would be, you know, the birth control pill uh, based on the evidence from the U.S., you're probably 100 times more likely to get clotting if you're on that versus taking, say, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. So, so if, you, if you weigh it up that way, you, you would say, well, would you stop taking the, the birth control pill uh, because of that risk or the, what's much higher risk versus you know, taking the, if, if you had the option for the Johnson & Johnson, Johnson vaccine? So, so you know, that's one aspect, uh, you know, Smoking, you're at much higher risk for smoking from uh, if you're smoking to, to have blood clots. You know, we a lot of people know about the long haul travelling, uh, you know, and the deep vein thrombosis, so the blood blood clotting there. So, so there's a whole range of activities that I think people would, you know, undertake without thinking about it. Uh, but now, with with these very rare cases coming out, they're, they're sort of starting to question it. So, so I, I, what I would say is that yes. I think it's important to recognise that these these uh, outcomes are occurring, but they're occurring in such a uh, you know they're very rare, occurring in such a small proportion of the uh, vaccinated population that that you know still the risks of getting COVID uh, 
greatly outweigh the risks of, of uh, these very rare, rare outcomes from having the vaccine. So in other words, and, and maybe this is a message to all of us, if we want all of the information, if we ask for transparency, we have to be able to weigh it all. We have to be able to balance it. Uh, yeah, definitely. You know, there, there's that, you know, initially, you know, people were saying, oh, you know, the government isn't being transparent and, you know, we really want them to be open about things. And, and but then, like you say, is if, if you have too much information, then maybe you sort of, you know, it, it's uh, sort of paralyzing. And so, so that, but I suppose what I would say is I'd rather them being open and saying, this is what's happening, but, but then providing people with, uh, this way to balance up and, and understand the risks. And I, and I think, uh, you know, what we know from, from risk communication uh, messaging is that, that if you do provide people with a way to balance up the risks and that people are able to sort of understand that. And so, so I think that's what's really important at this stage. And, 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 and the other side of this is this is, in fact, all of these independent safety checks working. This is a red flag going up, and then the red flag is addressed. Uh, better that than not to see the red flags. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, that's, that's part of this whole process. And I think we've sort of talked previously about that we're, you know, we're really in a, in a sort of a, a global uh, lab experiment in some ways and we're all the guinea pigs and and uh you know and and what we're doing is we're collecting information as we're going and and we're monitoring how you know what the outcomes are and 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 really you know if if we would have waited for, for this to come out we wouldn't have been vaccinating people you know from from january onwards so so you have to sort of weigh up what's the what's the risks versus the the benefits and and really the benefit outweighed uh, you know the, these potential adverse effects, and 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 like you say, that the, the monitoring system is working, and uh, but I, and I think it's important to be uh, open and, and about what the outcomes are, but but to also allow people to understand you know what the risks are in comparison to other risks as well. Obviously, a lot of technical data here, Thomas. Obviously, it's a fluid situation, and it changes. Uh, pretty much hourly in some situations. Is this the sort of messaging that we need in order for the public uh, to understand this, to, to get this? In other words, instead of the, the, the technical data, we need more of the, the comparisons, for example, to the birth control pill. Yeah, I, I think that giving people ways to be able to compare one one risk to another is, is really important. And, uh, you know, and I think, you know, if you think about it, uh, it's, it's very different. Once you talk numbers, you know, what, what does one in a million mean? What does, you know, one in a hundred thousand mean? You know, how, what, how, how can you sort of visualize that? It's very difficult to do that. But, but if you're able to sort of say, well, you know, your risk of doing this activity versus your risk of doing this activity uh, versus the, you know, the risk of taking a vaccine is this, it, it, I think it allows people to give have a better sense of, you know, ultimately really how safe these vaccines are. Um, we've got uh, uh, people from Ipsos coming in uh, in, in the next segment, uh, and new Ipsos polling saying that people are quite interested in getting the vaccine. We're uh, vaccine. We're up to sixty nine percent of people, seventy uh, percent of people who want this vaccine in Canada 
However, 64% of the Cana- of Canadians say it depends on what vaccine it is. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, you know, based on the based on the you know evidence we've got so far, I, I think the uh, the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines are you know seem to be the ones that are ha- having very very little side effects. The AstraZeneca and the Johnson and Johnson are showing these very rare side effects. Overall, I would say, you know, get whatever vaccine that's available on offer to you. But you know, if from an abund- you know, they, they talk about this abundance of caution approach. What they could do is say, well, you know, currently the evidence is saying this is very rare in these cases, you know, under these circumstances. So, so we we just won't allow people in that category to have this vaccine, but they they can have one of the others, and and that's you know pretty rare. Uh, sorry, pretty uh, consistent with you know any any medication. You know, your your doctor weighs up well. You know, if you have blood pressure, high blood pressure, you, you know, there's different medications that you can take based on, you know, your risk factors will give you this one over this one. And so, so I think, you know, if, if, if the supply is there and that's really the thing driving this is, is, is the sort of limitations in supply of, of, the, of the vaccines, if there's sufficient supply, they should be able to make those judgments, you know, on, at site where, where the vaccine is uh, being administered and to ensure that everyone who turns up is able to get one. J and J and AstraZeneca, same type of uh, old style of vaccine, unlike the Moderna and the Pfizer, which which is new technology, of course. Are you expecting the same sort of scrutiny? We're starting to see that around J and J now. Uh, AstraZeneca, it, it hasn't been approved yet in in the U.S. simply because they don't need it. Um, but obviously, once the scrutiny starts, uh, it will come from the same angles that that, that the AstraZeneca. Uh, situation started from. So, are we expecting the same sort of thing from from the J and J? Yeah, I, I would expect that the similar things that you we've seen with the AstraZeneca, we'll see with the Johnson and Johnson as well, and because of the the, the basic mechanism is is the same. Uh, so, and, and it's really about how how our immune systems are responding to to that what they call the vector virus. So, so I think uh, you know. We we have to just sort of keep monitoring things and um, and just reassuring people that that ultimately the, these the adverse effects that we're seeing uh, are very very rare and uh, and overall uh, quite minor in comparison to the you know the the great benefits that we're we're able to achieve by by having people vaccinated. Thomas Tenkate with us, professor at the School of Occupational Health and Public Health with Ryerson University. Thomas, as always, thank you so much for the time. Be well. Uh, thanks very much, Scott. I really appreciate it. Thank you. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Interesting article in the Globe and Mail. New rules proposed to bar authoritarian states from broadcasting human rights violations uh, in Canada, that's out of the Globe and Mail. Stephen Chase is with us, senior parliamentary reporter for the Globe and Mail, and with us now. Stephen, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. I am. Thank you. So tell us, give us some backstory here. Tell us about these channels, these stations. Yeah, there's uh, a couple of uh, Chinese state-controlled uh, TV stations that you can get uh, through your cable subscription if you wish. And so they have the right to broadcast in Canada through other cable providers such as Rogers. They earned this right. The CRTC gave them this right about 10 years ago. And so they are 
uh, broadcasting forced confessions of people that have been uh, arrested by the Chinese government, and uh, these people are handed scripts, and um, they, it could be a variety of reasons. It could be uh, prisoners of conscience, uh, human rights activists, and so on and so forth. And people have been raising concerns about this for the past, uh, I would say, five years. A complaint, an official complaint, was made to the CRTC 60 months ago. Nothing's happened on it. The conservative, uh, the federal conservatives, are proposing changes to the Broadcasting Act to sort of uh, to, to sort of address the matter now. And the Broadcasting Act is currently under revision. There's a, a liberal bill, C10, that's up for uh, consideration. So the idea is uh, it would it would make it easier, and it would oblige the CRTC, our broadcast regulator, to deny broadcast rights to any news organization that is. Uh, directly state-controlled by a non-democratic foreign state, and any that transmit or uh, produce or participate in the in the production of forced confessions. So the idea here is it makes it easier uh, for the CRTC to shut the door on these groups. Other countries have already been taking uh, steps. Back in March, the Australian public broadcaster announced it would suspend broadcasts of the uh, of CGTN, the China Global Television Network, and the, uh, the other one, uh, China Central Television, uh, after receiving human, similar human rights complaints. And Brit, Britain's media regulator actually revoked uh, one of the licenses, the licenses for CGTN, after it concluded that the Chinese Communist Party was basically had editorial responsibility for the for the channel. So there's things taking place around the world. The conservatives are trying to propose some changes here. Uh, no word on whether the liberals will accept them, but of course we're in a minority uh, government situation now, so no one party can can um, push things through without the support of others. Why would China want to broadcast its human rights violations here in Canada? It sends a message to uh, to people who watch the channel who tend to be of Chinese ethnicity, uh, or uh, and who it sends a message that this is what happens to people who. Uh, go against us. This is what happens to people who challenges us. So it's propaganda in the purest sense of the word. If we stop this, is that not violating freedom of speech? Are we not doing the same thing they're doing? I'm playing devil's advocate here. Well, there are already rules in Canadian broadcasting, uh, which I cannot specify in great detail, but there are already rules about abusive content. You're not supposed to broadcast abusive content and a condition of granting the license to these channels was that they would not broadcast uh, abusive content. So they 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 signed on uh, to certain rules and obligations when they were awarded the channel or awarded the right to broadcast in Canada back in 2006. Uh, uh, do we have channels there of such influence? Not that I'm aware of, no. And in fact, I think the CBC website is blocked in China. So why would that not raise a red flag for government? Uh, Well, government is pretty much, in Canada, the decision-making is pretty much dispersed on things like this. It's left largely to the CRTC, which is um, somewhat of an independent body. And the CRTC has been looking at this complaint from a, a European human rights group for the last 16 months and hasn't done anything uh, so the, that's what I think prompted the Conservatives to make these proposals. Uh, we have certainly heard uh, complaints from Chinese Canadians that they want the Canadian government to do something to stop 
those uh, those that are supporting the Chinese Communist Party from coming to their homes in Canada and harassing them in some form, having tea with them, uh, I, I think is the, is the famous saying. Um, how is this not the same? How are why would we not want that yet? You know, uh, we have these sorts of channels uh, broadcasting these human rights, uh, alleged human rights violations. How is this not the same? Is this not still is this still not harassing the Chinese Canadians? It might be, but I don't think a lot of federal decision makers are walking, watching these TV stations, and that's why they haven't been alerted or yeah. um, they haven't been um, they haven't wake, woken up to the concern here. What about in the United States? Where are they on this? That is a good question. I there has been a lot of conflict between Chinese state media and the U.S. government under the Trump administration. I'm not familiar with what they've done recently on this. I've I've looked at the other jurisdictions, um, the other sort of former Commonwealth jurisdictions like Australia and the U.K., but I'm not familiar in this case. Although the uh, Chinese, uh, the Canadian, the uh, U.S. government has in fact uh, requested or required. Chinese state media to be identified as foreign agents. Uh, so that's a quite a different, um, that's quite a different, uh, you know, demarcation of journalists than than we we've done here. The Canadian government can't even tell me how many uh, Chinese state media there are in Canada. They don't collect that kind of information. Is anybody monitoring uh, from the government on behalf of Canada what's going on on these channels? Not that I'm aware of. We've asked the CRTC to discuss um, what they've found after uh, looking at, at receiving these complaints 16 months ago, and they refused to discuss it with me. Uh, are they complaints driven? In other words, we'll only um, investigate if there are complaints. I'm not sure, actually, on that one. So what is next for all of this? Where is this going? So on Friday, right now, the uh, liberal, the minority liberal government has... I proposed Bill C-10, which would make a number of changes to Broadcasting Act. Um, the Conservatives have announced yesterday that they're going to propose these changes uh, either on the meeting Friday or on the meeting Monday. So we'll see how they're received by the other parties. I, I Judging based on previous or recent experience, I wouldn't imagine that the Bloc or the NDP would be um, hostile to these Conservative proposals. They, send, they, have, they have tended to uh, in recent months, vote with the Conservatives when it comes to China. How would China react to this if it did, in fact, happen? Well, it would be another national humiliation, according to the embassy, I imagine, that they have a sort of standard language. They talk about uh, uh, politically driven politically driven persecution. They've used words like that in other countries when this has happened, like Britain and the UK. Uh, sorry, like the Britain and, and Australia. So they would they would uh, attack it as, as politically driven persecution. Would this be about blocking content, certain content, like these human rights violations, forced confessions, as you say? Would it be about blocking specific content, or would it be the entire channel? Well, it actually, the proposal would be the entire channel if it's determined that the channel is under the control of the of the foreign state, and then and that state is a non-democratic state. So, for instance, um, let's look at Al Jazeera. Al Jazeera is a uh, news outlet in Qatar, yeah. and it is funded by the Emir, but it is an independent um, it is an independent channel. So it would not be it would not automatically be struck from. Uh, Canadian airwaves, but a country like China, 
where other broadcast regulators have already ter- determined that the the Chinese state media in question are already are under the control of the Chinese Communist Party, that would that would make it extremely likely that it would be removed from the airwaves in Canada. Of course, that doesn't prevent people from somehow accessing it over the internet, but I'm not familiar with how feasible that is. Uh, what isn't under state control in China? I, I mean, you could have the same debate over Huawei, couldn't you? Yes, although Huawei purports to be a privately owned company in that all the employees own uh, a share of it. However, they lose that share when they leave the company. There's been certainly a debate over whether Huawei is, in fact, uh, government-controlled because the union is controlled by the government, ultimately. Hmm. Uh, You said that this was all allowed 10 years ago. Does that show you how far uh, relations have deteriorated since then? Yes, I would say that... um, Something that happened in 2006, the China of 2021 is, is radically different, especially under uh, President Xi. And I think that this is something that a lot of Western democracies are coming to terms with, which is they have to reevaluate the sort of allowances and concessions that they gave the Chinese state um, 10, 15 years ago. Stephen Chase has been with us, senior parliamentary reporter for The Globe and Mail. The article, New Rules Proposed to Bar Authoritarian States from Broadcasting Human Rights Violations in Canada. You'll find it in The Globe and Mail and on their website. Stephen, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. You're welcome. Take care. Let's bring in Gordon Holden, director of the China Institute, professor of political science, University of Alberta, and with us now. Thanks for the time. Uh, we just had Stephen Chase on from the Globe and Mail. Your thoughts on the uh, the uh, TV stations that originate in communist China and then are uh, broadcast here in Canada and apparently broadcasting human rights violations where people have been using uh, people have been forced in, into confessions. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I've I've got maybe slightly complicated thoughts on this. On the one hand, uh, if it's pure propaganda, particularly even mistruths about human rights conditions, uh, that ought to be closely monitored by the CRTC with the prospect of banning if there are continued violations. On the other hand, in a free country like Canada, I'm always a little bit nervous about mm-hmm. banning information even if it comes from places we don't we not agree with, kicking people off Twitter, um, you know, some of that can be where it's exhorting violence, that sort of thing is one thing. But opinions we don't agree with, I'm a bit nervous. So I guess I'd find a compromise position, monitor it carefully, warn them, if there's repeated violations, then act, ban them for a period of time, etc. But do you think we have to be a little bit careful about just banning unpopular views? And we don't want radio stations to start having really, really strict controls on what commentators on their programs can say, for example. So I think there's a, I think there's a bit of subtlety needed there, and a bit of a lot of judgment. So, as educational as it is influential. Well, I, I think you know we all need to understand China, whether we like it or not. That's not the point, like it or not. And when I travel to North Korea, um, I read. Uh, got copies of and translated copies of the North Korean propaganda, which is the crudest on earth. And when I was in Cuba, the same. I read Grandmother, a national daily newspaper, because uh, I, I read Spanish, and I would look at it very carefully to find out what the heck's going on. But on the other hand, I can understand why you don't want waves of foreign propaganda saturating the Canadian landscape. It's just part of me is a sort of recoils from book burning and too much censorship, 
Mm-hmm. But, so I think it's a judgment call there. If it's, if it's pervasive and wrong and unhelpful, racist, etc., fine, deal with it. But I'm not in favor of just a quick, easy knee-jerk in terms of banning, canceling things because we don't like it. All right, let's switch gears. World Health Organization calling for a ban on the sale of live wild uh, mammals in food markets. We know the history there and, and dating back to Wuhan and, and the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. Have we not already had this discussion? We may well have. And this one to me, unlike the previous one, which I think is complex, this one to me is straightforward. For heaven's sakes, um, stop um, consuming wild animals in wet markets, particularly in crowded places like southern China, where you've got a lot of them being sold. And I've been in those markets. I've seen them. I don't like it for three reasons. Number one, there is that risk of transmission. SARS back in 2003 was from civet cats, bats to civet cats, then to humans. Uh, number two, I think it reduces biodiversity. Huge pressure on the natural areas of China. And third, there's a lot of cruelty to the animals. I've seen the conditions in which they're kept. It isn't pretty. It's actually very ugly. So to me, that's a slam dunk. Um, do it, I'd say. And it ought to be countries that do it should be shamed into banning it. Uh, the Chinese government said uh, this is a way for farmers to prosper. It's buying and selling for them. Your thoughts? Well, and there again, I suppose it's maybe slightly more complicated than I had said. But I would argue a, China, a country as wealthy as China is now can afford to move people. They're going facing a labor shortage due to their um, lack of um, of uh, newborn uh, babies. Uh, their population's diving. And surely these people can be new occupations can be found for them. I'm not against hunting per se, but when you get these rare animals that come right out of the jungle, carrying potentially nasty viruses and diseases, we need to get them. Um, we need to get that trade curtailed and actually stopped. Or you could phase it out, for heaven's sake. It doesn't have to be tomorrow. These people have jobs, family support. Give them five years to find new occupations with with support. They could maybe work as uh, protecting the wildlife, not just harvesting it. And some of the rarest are the most sought after. That's something slightly perverse in food culture in China, in my view. How many endangered species you can crowd onto a plate. But it's not impossible. I know in Hong Kong, for example... Most young Hong Kongers are not keen to eat um, shark's fin soup, uh, which is actually very tasty. I confess I've had it, but it's very hard to the shark population. I think with high-rising education levels, um, urbanized Chinese in particular can be persuaded to eat other things other than rare creatures that have come out of the jungle. And is it the number one priority of any country, nation, society to provide a contamination-free food chain? I mean, for a country that is claiming to be as advanced and far along as everyone says it is, or it says it is, it seems that providing a contamination-free food chain would want to be, be one of the basic things in life. It is. And China's had some real scandals in that regard. I recall that uh, infant formula powder was being contaminated by all things melanine a few years ago, and this led to the death of several babies. But to the point that we're now um, parents of young children, several years thereafter, it may still be the case, um, wanted to import milk powder directly from abroad. And I can recall bringing tins of it to Beijing uh, so that people could have, parents could have 100% confidence. That was a huge scandal. There were people executed, actually, over that scandal. Uh, I'm not arguing for that, but... Uh, you're, you're quite right. Food, providing food safety, inspecting, and providing that is an absolutely essential dimension of um, 
of, um, of what a government needs to do, and uh, China could do a far better job of that. How will China react to this information from the World Health Organization? Well, they'll, I think they'll probably not come out overtly and say it's terrible. It is the WHO, after all, which has gone pretty easy on China uh, overall. But I think they will, um, uh, they will there'll be some pushback. Again, all those farmers in the rural areas uh, who are dependent upon that, and those aren't necessarily uh, small numbers. Uh, those are significant numbers. So they will have to find ways to um, um, promote. I'd give them a grace period, but it's something that ought to happen. I think there'd be a lot of Chinese support amongst young, um, um, amongst, uh, young Chinese. Gordon Holden has been with us, director of the China Institute, professor of political science, University of Alberta. Uh, Gordon, as always, thank you so much for your time. Much appreciated. Be well. It's a great pleasure to to speak to you and your audience. Thank you so much, and stay healthy. Thank you. All right, uh, former uh, um, the former chairman of uh, Weston, uh, Galen Weston, has passed away at the age of eighty following an illness. Uh, Weston's name uh, all over uh, the food. Must be getting a delivery. Uh, Weston's name all over the food industry in Canada, and uh, we remember President's Choice and all of that sort of thing. To tie more, uh, talk more about him and his legacy, Ian Lee with his associate professor, Sprott School of Business, Carleton University. He is with us now. Ian, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Doing very well. Thanks, Scott. Why was this business so successful? Uh, because of Galen Weston. Um, and full disclosure, I don't consult to anybody anywhere on planet Earth. I'm paid by Carlton because I always get emails saying, why do you suck up to rich people? I don't suck up to rich people. I speak truth to power because I'm tenured and I can and I'm, I'm not dependent on anybody. And I know it's very unfashionable for professors to say good things about entrepreneurs or, or corporate titans of industry that succeeded. Well, if that annoys some of your listeners, so be it. Get, ang- get angry and get annoyed. Um, I celebrate Galen Weston because he was a very innovative person. He took over Loblaws when it was on the edge of bankruptcy in 1972, I believe. It was failing. I remember when it was failing. Loblaws was junk. It was a terrible company, badly managed company. And he took it over, and he turned it around. He and was the guy who created President's Choice brand. And that's what he says is the success to it right there. Yeah, he was the guy that came in the no-name brands. He brought in Dave Nichols. People of a certain age will remember Dave Nichols, who did the ads on television for President's Choice. He restructured the company. He closed down losing stores, opened up new stores, went and recruited people. And he turned it into, some people say it's the strongest brand in Canada today. I don't want to get carried away. It's one of the strongest brands. But the point is, he was extraordinarily successful. He was a risk taker, something that we have in Canada, far too few of in Canada. Our national entrepreneurial pastime is to trash people who are successful and innovative. <laughs> and we do it all. Our politicians are, are first rate at this. They do this all the time. And so it's very rare to celebrate. We should be celebrating him because... He did such an extraordinary job, and he employed and employs, uh, Loblaws employs thousands and thousands and thousands of Canadians in really good jobs, which is why we should be celebrating his success, and as opposed to trashing our, our titans of industry who are successful in employing hundreds of thousands or millions of Canadians. 
Obviously, we've heard uh, how competitive the grocery store business is. We're, 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 uh, we, we've seen how it's adjusted during a pandemic and such. Is the same model that he brought forward, because uh, obviously he stepped away uh, from his duties, but is the model that he came up with still working now? I think so. Um, the First off, step back. You're right. Uh, the gro- And I use this industry every year in my strategy class. Grocery retailing is brutal. It is brutal. Uh, their their profit margins are, are minuscule. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're very small. And, um, it, you know, there's stores all over the place. And it's not just grocery stores. I mean, Walmart is showing that... Yeah, everybody's a grocery store now. Everybody's in the grocery store now. <laughs> I mean, you open up a corner store and you stick groceries on the on the shelves and away you go. And uh, so there's the barriers to entry, to use my jargon from my strategy class, are very low. It's very easy, relatively speaking, to enter this business. It's very tough to succeed in this business. And you have to stay very close to the customer. And I talk to my students, they look at me like, you know, I'm from planet Pluto, you know. And uh, I used to work in industry. I worked in banking many years ago. And so I guess I have a greater respect for uh, business people. And uh, he, he, Galen Weston, did something before Tom Peters even made it famous. Tom Peters was a famous management consultant in the 80s and 90s. And he coined the phrase management by walking around, MBWA. And I really like the phrase because what he was saying is get out of your ivory tower, you know, CEOs sitting up on the 50th floor. And he says, get out into the field, get out into your stores, talk to your customers, talk to your employees, talk to your workers, find out what's going on down on the floor at the grassroots. And he did it. He did it before anybody even knew there was a phrase for it called management by walking around. And he was very, very successful at doing that. And he created this, he saved, I think, he saved Weston. I mean, I know the bakery was doing very well back then, but I mean, Loblaws was, as I said, was doing terribly. And he transformed that company and expanded it and expanded it and went into Quebec and turned it into the behemoth, the giant that it is today that is I think, beloved by many, many Canadians. And all you have to do is look at the millions of people that shop at Loblaws every day. And that's is it in good hands out. moving forward? Sorry? Is it in good hands moving forward? I think so. Um, the, the great, um, just to show you that I do criticize wealthy people, I, 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 cr- I really admire people that take a business and create it from scratch and, and build it up, you know, like uh, Jeff Bezos. Mm-hmm. I think that's the toughest thing in the world. There's nothing more challenging than to take an idea, create a business from scratch, and grow it into a big company. That's why so few people have done it. Now, full you know, full disclosure on this guy, he did inherit. Uh, his father had uh, grown the business very, very successfully, but it was very, it was very mixed success, a mixed bag. Part of the business of Weston's was doing very well when this, when he Galen Weston came into the business, but part of it, as I just said, Loblaw's side was doing terribly, and he saved. Loblaws, and then rebuilt it. And uh, the problem with, with um, and we've all heard this phrase, you know, rags to rags in three generations. At least I hope people have heard mm-hmm. that. It's, it's famous. You know, the, the grandfather starts the company, and then the son builds it, or the daughter, but typically in those days, sons, built the company, and the third generation comes along and destroys it. Yeah. And the Bronfman's very, very famous example of rags to rags in three generations. 
and uh, inherited, and that's the problem with inherited wealth. I'm not a big fan of inherited wealth because the and the children tend to, if they're not, unless they're raised really well, they develop a sense of privilege, mm-hmm. of entitlement. That uh, hey, I'm successful just because I'm entitled to be, instead of failing to understand. You only are successful because you work your butt off 18 hours a day, seven days a week, forever and ever. And he didn't, he was raised very well. He didn't have that sense of entitlement. And listening to the interviews with the sons, there's no sense of entitlement either. Oh, I'm going to let you go with that, Ian. No, it's okay. It's, it's, uh, that's one of those silly alarms going off from the Ontario warning. There you go. We're in lockdown. Uh, i got to let you go. We're out of time anyway. Uh, Ian okay. Lee with his associate professor, Sprott School of Business, Carleton University, talking about the passing of Galen Wesson. As always, Ian, thanks for the time. Be well. My pleasure. Thanks. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.